It's time for Black and White, a show that wants to bring all of us together talking again. It's time to hear from people who only want to deal with facts. It's time for you to re-engage in America. Welcome back. Joining us today is the son of a famous father, happens to have the same name, Robert H. Bork and his Bork Jr. And he's here to talk about his father's book and what adjustments have been made to it called The Antitrust Paradox. Mr. Bork, thank you for joining us today. Well, call me Bob, and it's a pleasure to be here. Bob, uh, you call me Dan. Um, why did you decide to update the book? Well, that's a, that's a actually mildly fascinating story. The, Elizabeth Warren, about six years ago, started talking rather loudly about uh, antitrust and the need to weaponize antitrust to use uh, to uh, control and regulate uh, companies in, a, in, in new ways that would uh, ultimately, I think, fossilize capitalism. And, I, and, and, and the assault on antitrust made me look to see where my father's book was. Was it, was it in print anymore? In fact, it was not in print. And I had to go to a, a, a small effort uh, to, uh, to get the rights back from the, from the publisher and put it back in print. So I and discovered the best way to do it was to form my own publishing company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and uh, we copied it over and I asked Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee to write a new introduction and I wrote a new forward. We cleaned it all up and put a new cover on it. And, and it came out in April of 2021. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And it's been done pretty well for a book about antitrust. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I wanted to get it out there so that when as this debate suddenly developed, burst into being, um, that the original uh, book about the standard of antitrust enforcement we have now, called the Consumer Welfare Standard, the original book would be back out there and available to people. Um, and I also then founded uh, the Bork Foundation and also the Antitrust Education Project, another foundation to really publicize his ideas and to argue that the standard we've had since 1979 when the Supreme Court adopted the consumer welfare standard uh, is really the best way to go. And all these new ideas about tearing down the consumer welfare standard and replacing it with a bunch of woke ideology is uh, not the way to go. It will lead to horrible results. Uh, It'll lead to less innovation, less growth, uh, less job formation uh, instead of, uh, you know, we've had actually a pretty good run for 40 years of uh, job, you know, job creation and uh, and investment and and uh, you know innovation. So I, I think that's that's why the book came back out. That's why I, I started this this effort to publicize his ideas. So, what would he say about today? I think he would be appalled. In fact, I remember in the 1993 edition. The book came out in 78. In 1993 edition, he wrote an afterward, which we included in this book, in this new edition, where he was actually surprised how well uh, the, the ideas that he espoused had worked in those intervening years. I think if he were alive today, as you may know, he died uh, 10 years ago this year. Mm-hmm. Um, if he were alive today, he would be uh, shocked by what people are saying they are trying to roll back the clock as they used to say about him they're trying to roll back the clock to the old days of antitrust enforcement and interpretation 
uh, where the competitors, the antitrust law focused on making uh, a level playing ground for competitors rather than looking at mergers and other business activity in terms of how it benefits the consumer, how it creates economic efficiency. If it doesn't benefit the consumer, then yes, intervene. If it does, but if it does, then leave it alone. Uh, now they just want to use it uh, to beat on every big company they can think of. They're, they're the, the current crowd, the, uh, the antitrust hipsters like Lena Khan and Tim Wu in the White House and, uh, and Amy Klobuchar, they want to, uh, they want to uh, weaponize antitrust and use it to uh, take uh, control of our economy. So um, got kind of a rough deal on uh, his uh, appointment to the Supreme Court. What do you think he'd say about the court today? Uh, I think he'd be pleased with the makeup of the court now and the fact that they seem to uh, be operating on a largely originalist principles, uh, textualism. Uh, I don't think uh, he would, uh, actually, you know, a funny thing is I think he'd be rather uh, sad that uh, Steve Breyer is leaving, at least on, on business cases, uh, on antitrust, Steve Breyer got it. And the, the new uh, justice, I don't think so much, but, um, but would still- he be, Would he be disappointed in the new justice who couldn't define what a woman was? <laughs> I think he would find it uh, uh, laughable uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm sure she can, but she won't because she's, she's afraid of what they would say, what the, you know, the, the radical left would say about her. And the other thing, other thing I would, I would, uh, we'll move on after this, but I, I'm curious, um, what about the attacks on the justices, physical, uh, threats. Um, well, it, it's outrageous and shocking. And uh, uh, but you know, it's entirely foreseeable. What, what I don't see the media talking about, even the ones that are, you know, appalled by it, like Fox. You know, they talk about um, uh, they talk about it is all triggered by the leak of the Dobbs uh, opinion. Mm -hmm. But what? Wait a second. Uh, you know the 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 Democrat senators in in in, in uh, Kavanaugh's hearing, they made him out to be the devil, you know, a rapist, and and so what do you expect? You know, you do that, uh, and you you tee all of this up with your utter disrespect for for uh, for people for 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 them. Yeah, they knew that wasn't true, um, and and so uh, you know, and they know the things, but they were said about Clarence Thomas weren't true. Um, but they spread these lies and then they sort of wonder why these things happen. I know why they happen. Yeah, there was a, the, recently there was a discussion about um, why the Democrats didn't say anything about what, what the threat to uh, Justice Kavanaugh, but more importantly, um, the Democrats were virtually silent on all the riots in, in 2020 were- Yes billions of dollars of property was destroyed jobs were lost people were killed policemen were beaten and killed didn't say a word as no. they've not said a word about the, the potential assassination of judge Kavanaugh. no they haven't um nor has the president nor has the president and only only uh you know took a month or so for 
the Democratic House to pass that uh, protection bill and uh, took about the same amount of time for uh, Merrick Garland, uh, who I think actually has now sort of made the case for why it was a good thing he wasn't put on the Supreme Court. Um, you know, he doesn't seem to be um, a man of much integrity. Uh, agreed. And I, I, I look at what's going on and um, it's kind of like the genie out of the bottle. Once you have a person who publicly has threatened the life of, of a Supreme Court's judge and his or her family, but in this case, his family, um, you th the genies come out of that bottle and, and it will allow other people to feel empowered that they can do something. And, and I, I think that it was, it was outrageous that it happened. It was outrageous that the Attorney General of the United States, the chief law enforcement officer in the country, had legislation on the books about protection of justices and refused to enforce it by arresting those people and moving them away. Still hasn't. No. And, and um, but the mainstream media doesn't seem to, to, to want to know. So let's move on. So yes, what, in your various foundations, what are you trying to accomplish with those foundations? Well, uh, really, they were both started uh, to promote my father's ideas. Uh, and right now we're focused, obviously, on antitrust because it's in the news and because there's a clear and present danger to the system that he helped create that has done so much for our uh, country and our economy. So that's what I'm focused on right now. Pretty much spent all my time advocating for the consumer welfare standard against some of these crazy left-wing ideas that they're trying to promote. And I'll do more about his other writings and teachings, you know, when this becomes less of an issue. Uh, if it becomes less of an issue. It may well, not interestingly, you know, there's going to be, there's a bill before the Senate now, which is very important, this Klobuchar bill, uh, which is called about uh, innovation and choice. Uh, at least that's the name of it, but it does nothing to help either. Um, and uh, if, if that passes, then uh, uh, what do they say? Katie bar the door. Uh, that will be the end. That will be a statutory end of some aspects of uh, our antitrust uh, inform enforcement regime. Um, but even if it doesn't pass, we have some real um, revolutionaries in charge of the DOJ uh, antitrust division and the FTC, and they're going to try to do by fiat and by enforcement and by litigating. And frankly, by sheer uh, uh, brute force, uh, what they won't haven't been able to do with uh, changing uh, statutes. So uh, we'll have at least two more years of this kind of stuff, uh, and then uh, you know, obviously a Republican House and Senate would be would be a great thing, but they can't stop those people from doing anything because it requires the president's signature to make changes. Um, but they can certainly advocate. Of course, we have another problem. I should point this out. There are Republicans who are advocating for this crazy new revolutionary antitrust regime that the left is pushing. And why are they doing it? Because they are so incensed and angry at the big tech companies uh, for their censorship uh, of conservative ideas that they're willing to uh, you know, tear down the, the forest 
uh, what's the line from uh, Sir Thomas More? I can't remember, but uh, they're willing to uh, they're willing to destroy uh, 40 years of antitrust uh, enforcement policy that's been good for the country just to get after those companies for their censorship. And so you have people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and John Kennedy and uh, Lindsey Graham and and my friend um, Chuck Grassley, you know, who have voted for that bill to get out of committee. But I hope they see the light and don't vote for it to pass the the Senate. Um, but even if they do, uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to have two more years of some pretty wild uh, investigations and litigation from the from the left. We're uh, we're going to take a commercial break here. When we come back, I want to talk about. Uh, the relative importance of the First Amendment freedom of speech in what you're trying to do. So we'll be right back with Robert Bork, Jr. Over 200 million Americans see the damage of escalating gas prices on their families at every fill-up. The coming midterm election will give these hundreds of millions of Americans an opportunity to tell Joe Biden what they think about what he's done to our country and them. Rather than fix the problem, Joe has created many, many distractions. They include the trillions of dollars spent on COVID-19, billions upon billions of dollars spent on the war in Ukraine, tried to scare the American people with threats of communist China and Russia, discounting inflation as it ravages our country, the shortage of baby food and other food to the American people. But he isn't addressing the issues that are important to you. The significant increase in a gallon of milk and the even more significant increase in a gallon of gasoline has made it harder and harder for Americans to survive. Energy isn't just gasoline, which is about $5.10 a gallon, but it's also fuel oil and diesel fuel and natural gas. In some places in the country, people are paying over $6 a gallon for gasoline. Some areas are paying close to 8 Have you figured out that $6 a gallon gasoline will mean the average driver in a small car will be spending $100 a fill-up in this country? As the dial at the pump spins, people have to make choices about buying gas or buying food for their families. Food isn't bought because they need the gas to get to work. If they lose their job, they'll not be able to provide food for their families. Tough decisions for millions upon millions of Americans as they watch the dial spin and their money going out in record amounts. In November, we'll all be going to the polls and marking our ballots for the candidates that we think can help us out of this tremendous dilemma. If you see a D next to a person's name before you check he's a Democrat, remember he's the one and his party is the one responsible for these high prices and inflation. When you go to vote, remember to vote Republican. In particular, in Oklahoma, you want to vote for Dr. Mark Sherwood, who's running for the nomination for governor in the state of Oklahoma. Get out and vote for Mark. It's important to the state. It's important to America. Welcome back. And we're having a terrific conversation with uh, Robert H. Bork, Jr., the son of the judge, Robert Bork, and he's been brought his father's book, The Antitrust Paradox, back to life again. But right now I'd like to talk about the, the corporate media, social media and other media, uh, and what they've done to the First Amendment rights of freedom of speech. It's what we, we started this show and network under the premise 
that a year and a half ago, millions of Americans had given up trying to express their opinion because the penalties that they were paying from the left and the, and the persecution uh, was they, they didn't want to deal with it anymore. And so they just kind of gave up and they, the corporate media got control of the agenda. And of course we saw what happened. Um, there seems to be a little bit of movement against that, uh, trying to help, maybe not necessarily to try and help restore freedom of speech, but to deal with other issues. Would you agree with that or not? Yeah, I think that's uh, largely the case. What you have, I think, of course, uh, and you're talking, I think, largely about the censorship from Twitter and Facebook and others. Um, I think you're going to see a gradual change there. In fact, I know that Facebook is losing uh, users from the, you know, to TikTok and other. So there is competition out there, uh, and they're going, they're having having to make adjustments to that. Um, and there's a big fight to expose them. You know, for example, on Instagram, illegal drug deals take place on Instagram, and uh, and, and uh, trafficking and other things. Uh, so as that stuff becomes more uh, public and more, more well-known, I, I really do think they'll be, they're, they're, they're gonna be making changes. Um, but I do think we have to do something about, and this is why, this is, as you mentioned, as we were going out, uh, antitrust is a part of this. Unfortunately, it's a part of this. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the left and, and uh, particularly the right uh, wing, uh, Republicans who are pushing for this, these antitrust reforms as a way to punish big tech companies in the platforms, that's a huge mistake um, to, uh, to implicate antitrust enforcement in something which is really a, a you know, free speech issue. Uh, and it can be fixed by fixing section 230 or writing other uh, rules and regulations about how they moderate content, but not, not you know, weaponizing antitrust and threatening to break up companies over it, that makes no sense. It's not what antitrust was for. Right. And the, and the, the, the Section 230, which you mentioned, uh, which I've written about a lot, um, a lot of people don't understand that, that, that 230, quote, gives a lot of cover to media companies who don't have to produce free speech. They can do right. the kind of speech they want. You think the Congress will ever modify 230? One would hope. There's, I know that there are proposals out there. There's a bill called the PACT Act by Senator John Thune and Brian Schatz, who's a Democrat. Um, and I've seen it. And it, on the face of it, seems like a pretty good idea. It calls for more transparency. It gives recourse to people who have been censored uh, quickly. Um, you know, it, it, I think, gives users more protection. Now, what I'm worried about is somebody pushing really hard for turning them into public utilities, um, you know, common carriers. That I think that really will create more censorship rather than, than less, because then they'll really be under the control of the government. Uh, you know, some of the, the, worst anti, the, the worst monopolies we've ever had were government created monopolies like 18, like the, you know, the bell companies. When that got broken up, it created all sorts of 
uh, new possibilities for uh, for innovation and 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 for uh, uh, consumer welfare. But um, I really don't see going backwards and turning turning these uh, platforms into uh, public utilities as a, as a good move. Um, do you think that the, the movement to the public utility concept, and I know a lot of senators and congressmen are, are in favor of that, do you think that that's a cop-out rather than trying to address Section yeah. 230? They're looking for some easy fix. But also, if you're in the, you know, think of who, who these people are. They are government regulators. So give them an option to do something that increases government control over our speech, over our, our over our communications platforms. Sounds very appealing if you're a government bureaucrat, uh, senator or congressman. And what's frightening to me is that uh, my friend Clarence Thomas has also publicly made noises in that direction. Uh, I think he would love to see a case come before the Supreme Court where they could uh, rule on that. And I hope that never happens. So it's fascinating some of the things that you're 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 talking about to me uh, and I'm sure to our audience. Um, the the Democrats have successfully used have used the judiciary as a legislative branch of the Democratic Party. Absolutely. And uh, Trump did appoint an, uh, a significant number of federal judges. Some of them are in, intimately involved in some of the challenges to what the what the um, Biden administration is trying to do. But it seems to me, Bob, that the the, the problem are the bureaucrats. They're unelected. Um, they almost have tenure if they're there for a certain period of time, regardless of their party affiliation. And regardless who's in power, they can do whatever they want to do. Yeah, there's that problem. I got to tell you, though, uh, at the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, you know, which is responsible for a good portion of our competition policy, um, Lena Khan, the, the young, inexperienced chair, uh, has created an environment that's causing professional staff to quit in droves. Uh, and, you know, God forbid I should actually be opposed to government bureaucrats losing their jobs, but uh, these people actually were professionals, you know, legal staff, economists, and others, and she's made it impossible for them to stay. One of the she laid down a rule that nobody could talk outside of the department, outside of the agency. Couldn't go. You couldn't go to conferences. You couldn't participate in panels. You know, that's what a lot. That's how a lot of policy gets kicked around and discussed, and people get ideas and things like that. So she did that and, and made other moves where, so that in the last year, her first year in office, uh, a, a government survey of, of worker satisfaction uh, at different agencies and departments moved the FTC from first to last. Uh, people are publicly questioning the integrity of the, of the agency. And that has, I think, even with non-political staff, they're sick of seeing what, uh, what Commissioner uh, Christine Wilson, who's a Republican commissioner there now, uh, has identified as really uh, a move towards Marxism and communism. Uh, you know, she says they're basically invoking the principles of critical legal studies and Marxism there. And you know, I think that 
you might say, wow, that's harsh, but you'd have to, it would have to be something rather uh, harsh to cause her to say that. But do you think that that's a function of the bureaucracy gaining in power over the last 40, 50 years? Not in this case. I think this is a function of, of uh, left-wing progressive political hacks being put in charge of uh, a department, you know, who have particularly people like uh, Chair Khan, who has no experience running anything and is only driven by her ideology. I'm sure that's I'm sure what you said is true in other places, but in that particular place, no. But isn't that also true, for example, at, with Mayor Pete? Uh, when he's at work, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Good point. I, I just think that 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 the the rationale, if there was one, the rationale of who the the team of, of biden advisors selected the cabinet level people in his administration is bizarre at the least uh of of who they picked and people who who when they were in for their hearings um couldn't answer questions didn't have any idea what a senator was asking about and yet they got confirmed um are we are we facing an environment where the good people don't want to come and work for the government anymore? I think we've been, frankly, in that for a while. I mean, look at all the people who took a beating in the Trump administration. Um, you know, from the from the media, from the left, uh, without regard for the fact that they're human beings trying to do a good job. You know, um, it's you know, look look at my father's sister, thirty seven. How many years ago was that? 1987. Um, you know, they made up lies about him, and uh, uh, that was the, the first. That was the first of many, but it got worse and worse and worse to the point of Brett Kavanaugh, wonderful human being, wonderful guy, wonderful husband and father, smart judge, being accused of all sorts of, you know, false, false. false false accusations yeah you know and, and and that that's kind of representational of what's going on it may not be true but they don't care no they, they really don't care all right i i i always remembered still remember um the uh, senate majority leader uh who said when asked about uh mitt romney well i've been told that he hadn't paid his income taxes in 10 years and 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 the reporter said to him, "Do you have any proof?" He said, "Go ask him." So he put it out there, that, knowing that it was absolutely true, absolutely false. Yes, false. absolutely false. Yeah. And and nobody else challenged him, and he told the reporter, "Well, go go find out. Go ask him if he's paid his taxes." But you remember what he said later, when when they said it turned it wasn't true. He said, "Well, it worked." Right. And and that that's. That, I'm glad you brought that up because I, <clears throat> I think it's important. Is that what's missing? Missing is truth. Absolutely. We, if we can't if we can't get what we want by telling the truth, we know we then must lie. Right. Well, as and they that, say, it's a, the truth is the first casualty of war, and we are at war. Yeah. Right. We have uh, we have been having a great conversation with uh, Robert H. Bork Jr. 
who has uh, taken on a labor of love of updating his father's book, The Antitrust Paradox. We thank you for joining us today, Bob. Where can people find your work and your writings? Go to uh, antitrusteducationproject.org. And on Twitter, you can see everything uh, we do. Uh, also, it's antitrustedu. Uh, and, uh, or just search my name and uh, in Google and, and the word antitrust, and you'll see it. Thank you so much for joining us. Fascinating conversation. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care.